0: Girls, do you like Sebastian? Kids? Yeah, Sebastian. I would like a dog as big as Sebastian compared to Zip. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> that would be awesome. Hey, so we're um, I'm picking back up in First John, where we were at before um, before I was sick. Uh, have, I've had to condense and shorten and tweak because obviously now I've missed uh, two weeks and we have. Easter coming in just a couple of weeks, which is awesome. So, um, anyway, we're, uh, we're picking up back in 1 John, so um, if you want to turn there. This morning we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read you two verses this morning. Verse 18 and verse 26. 1 John chapter 2, verse... 18 says this, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. And then in verse 26, he says this, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning, we thank you for spring and the hope of better things and life and all the, all the things that come with it. And we pray today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would use your word to minister to us. We ask this in your name, amen. So John is uh, articulating here one of the major reasons he wrote 1 John, and it's actually a major theme of 2 John as well, uh, just this Uh, antichrists and false teachings that were coming and infiltrating the church and it was at that period of time and in all honesty it remains a major issue for the church as a whole Um, but before we jump into John's encouragement or God or John's instructions around uh, uh, false uh, teachers and antichrist and those kinds of things I need you to understand something this morning, and that's this, the human race is prone to and vulnerable to false teachings and manipulation. We're prone to and vulnerable to these things. Now, this may be an offensive statement to you, so I'm going to take a little bit of time to explain it. Uh, There are three areas I want to point out to you this morning. Uh, There may be more, and certainly these aren't exhaustive, and I'm not even exhausting everything within these statements. I encourage you to look into them on your own. But three areas where uh, there's this possibility um, for being manipulated. First one is just intellectually speaking. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard an argument for something... Uh, you know been convinced of a person 's position, whether that be uh, a debate, whether that be you were on a jury and you were you were having to decide and you were listening, uh, whether that was a, a coworker 's report on something, uh, whether it be religious, political, social, whatever it is, just somebody making an argument for a particular point, and you you were convinced you heard their Argument, you heard their points, and you were just, yep, I'm, yep, I'm convinced of their position on this. And then someone else speaks to it and presents a different perspective with more or new information. And now, with this perspective and this piece of information, your opinion changes. How many of you have ever experienced that in your life? We all have. We all have. What does that mean, intellectually speaking? By giving or withholding information or knowledge, you can be manipulated to what you believe. Right? If I just leave out a piece of information, it'll cause you to think one way. Or if I give you information, it'll cause you to think a different way. So intellectually speaking, we only know what we know. And you form opinions and thoughts and actions based on what you know, but you only know what you know. So you can be completely convinced that this is right and this is true and this is what I need to do, and it could be wrong. It's potent- the potential exists intellectually. By giving or withholding knowledge, we can be manipulated. Now, add to that the medical uh, uh, reality that our brains crave certainty. You say, what do you mean medically speaking? Our, the research around the effects of ambiguity on the brain are amazing. Do some research. Go to Google. Google. Effects of ambiguity on the brain. And just read psychology reports, scientific reports about what happens to the brain when there's ambiguity. Uh, and ambiguity, if you're unsure, it just means the, the state of not knowing, of, of there being a, a gap. I, d- I don't know. Ambiguity. Um, basically, the brain suppresses the reward side of the brain uh, when, when there's ambiguity suppresses the reward side, and creates stress, anxiety, and fear. Now, scientists would tell you in an evolutionary sense, uh, that's protecting you. Because in the absence of not knowing, it's better to be cautious than, than dive in. And therefore, uh, I say it's a mechanism God created to protect you. It is the part of you of not knowing something that causes you to have a little bit of stress and caution around it because, you know, that should be tread carefully. That could hurt me. So it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a negative thing, but your brain is always striving to know for sure. It wants to. It craves it. Okay. And as soon as it it has the piece of information it needs... To feel certain, it rewards you. How many of you have ever not known something, whether that be learning in a school environment, or you're trying to figure a puzzle out, or you're trying to understand a conversation, and all of a sudden you get a piece that clicks and your brain goes, ah, and you feel good? Right? Right? That is, you had, it was amb- you had ambiguity, It was filled and your brain rewarded it and said, ah, okay, that's the process. So what does that mean? Ambiguity is resolved in your brain even when the information is false. As long as there's something that seems like it would work in there, your brain grabs onto it and holds it because it can't be uncertain. even with false information. Which is often why when we, when we sometimes think we have this figured out, we go, it just feels good. You ever say, like, it just feels right, it feels good. Well, that's because your brain rewarded you. I'm just talking medically here. This isn't spiritual. I'm not trying to drive a biblical point. This is just medical. Google, research it. The effects of ambiguity on the brain. So what happens is because our brain is craving certainty, it doesn't want to be left in limbo in the unknown, it often, we often do things um, and respond like forcing a square peg into a round hole. If I can make it fit and it looks like it works, I want, my brain needs the certainty. So this is just intellectually speaking which leaves us vulnerable to manipulation because if i give you an answer that sounds right even if it's not the answer you'll grab onto it because your brain wants doesn't want to be left in the unknown it's just how we're created let's move on from the reward part this leads us to medically right that you all are very well aware of a chemical called dopamine that our brain produces, and it affects a lot of things in the brain. I'm not a medical doctor. I, I, don't, I don't need to try to explain it all in this period of time, but basically it's this. It rewards beneficial behavior and motivates us to repeat that. So in a nutshell, through various ways, it's what helps us feel good. It helps us move forward. It, it does a whole lot of things in our system. So. Just know this, it it motivates us to, uh, uh, rewards us with beneficial behavior, which motivates us to repeat that behavior, okay, so that we always do what's good for us instead of what's bad for us. Here's the issue. Um, Some very smart folks have figured out how to hijack that system. Most drugs that are addictive affect that system. So by taking the drug, the brain dopamine is released, it rewards that behavior, so then your brain wants to do it again. And oftentimes, it's so compelling that the person will know, this is terrible for me, but the, while they're shooting up, I wish I wasn't doing this, but the brain, the, the power behind that is is creating and, and perpetuating the addictive behavior, so which is why it's never a good idea to judge an addict or tell them to just stop. Amen. Their dopamine system has been hijacked by a drug. They're fighting something within them that's medical. It's not, it's not a matter of desire. It's a medical issue that needs to be resolved. Anyway, but that, a drug attached that way. Well, guess who else has figured out, <clears throat> excuse me, how to use this against you. Marketers. People who want you to buy a certain product or get involved in certain things, they they know, they've studied the the whole issues of the dopamine and the reward and they create problems that then their their product resolves. So when you buy their product, you feel good about that product that you're fixing a problem and so on and so forth. And not necessarily talking about products. It could be ideologies, it could be all kinds of things. I'll give you an example, something tangible that you can look up for your own. Uh, Previous senior executive for Facebook, Chamath Palihapitiya, I think is how you pronounce his name. He was a Facebook senior executive from 2007 to 2011, tasked with increasing the user base. At the point he got signed on, Facebook was a year old. And his job was to increase the users. He and his team, he, he in front of some Stanford students and in other arenas, he has expressed remorse for his involvement in developing the platform because it's the similar technology now that all major social media outlets use. Uh, Instagram, Snapchat, all of, all of those. And that's this. It, it hijacks the dopamine system. So when you pull out your phone, and you're scrolling Facebook, and you notice that somebody liked your page, it gives you a reward hit. And so as you keep scrolling, oh, they liked my page, which makes you want to post content for people to like because you want the dopamine hit. Now, you don't consciously think that, but it's the purpose of it all is to keep you engaged with the phone so they can... Get marketing information from you to sell, but the science behind it is they've they studied the dopamine reward and the like button was developed, and all of us, right? You scroll Facebook, you're like, oh, 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 they liked that. Oh, and you instant when somebody likes something, you feel good, right? That's the dopamine hitting your brain. I feel good. So what happens is now you anytime you feel low. You pick up your phone and you go to Facebook and you start scrolling to see if people have liked your stuff and then you feel good. And then you put it down and you feel low again and you pick your phone back up and you scroll so you feel good again. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant from a marketing standpoint. Proof that your own medical body can be manipulated to false teachings and manipulation. I encourage you to to just research his name, uh, watch some documentaries like The Social Dilemma, those other things where they've begun to realize the unintended consequences of this. That evil people now have taken some of this technology that's been developed and are using it against whole countries. There have been riots in some small third world countries. This isn't a U.S. problem. This is a global problem. Uh, and I don't want to talk about it. You can, you can research it. I just wanted to prove and show you to that. Medically, through your dopamine system, people have figured out how to hijack that and can manipulate you and give you false information. Third thing leads to this. Uh, I didn't know what to call this category, so I just labeled it emotionally. That there's the center of every person where desires experiences Um, can you advance the page we're having connection problems Um, there's a center of every person where desires, experiences personality emotions where they all mingle it's just the center of a person Uh, the bible refers to this as the heart of a person some people might call it the soul of somebody it's just this non-tangible thing that, that is the person, right? Like, it's the life of the person. The stuff you, you really can't see. And when, when you have desires and longings for things that are, 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 are real, things like wealth or riches, or relationships and, or love, or desires for power, or to be recognized, and we don't necessarily mean like world recognition, maybe just recognized by the people you hang out with, or purpose in life. When you have these desires, then you combine it with personal experiences, whether they were negative or positive, or emotions that you have, or your personality. When you mix these things together, it makes you vulnerable to false teachings and manipulation. You say, well, how... Give me some examples, Pastor Steve. I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. <clears throat> how many of you uh, either were or have been or know of women who are in abusive relationships but believe the line don't come out? And when you trace back, you begin to realize, oh, a lot of that population, that demographic of people, had, dat- had father issues. Right? So, uh, and I know this is stereotypical, but it's something we can understand. That You think to yourself, why is this person believing this, this other person? They're clearly abusive. The whole world can see it. They're just using them, whether that abuse is physical or emotional or verbal. And it can be traced back to other issues in their life, experiences they had, longings of the heart that are true and real everybody, God places in the heart a longing to be loved and being in a relationship. That's a real, genuine, God-given desire. And when you mix that up then with, with negative experiences so you offset, it can lead you into believing things that aren't, you think this is good for you when it's not good for you. Or how about highly driven people who came from a life of poverty Or we're bullied in life. Where they decide, hey, uh, I'm not going to be the underdog anymore. I'm going to be the one on top. Or I'm tired of growing up poor. I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to build some wealth and have some comfort around me. Right? These desires mixed with emotions and past experiences, all of a sudden now you see the lens through that desire, through that. I give you an example, another example. Uh, If you polled any number of Americans and you asked them, is a pit bull a good dog or a bad dog to have? That's a heated argument right there. Why? Because there are some people who have had some very negative experiences by being bitten by a dog. And there are some that have had very good experiences with a devoted, loving, happy dog. And it's the same breed. One has come to one conclusion, one has come to the other conclusion simply because of their own experiences, emotions around that. All of this leads to what Jeremiah makes the observation in chapter 17, verse 9. He says this. You're probably going to have to advance, I guess, because we're having issues. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I barely understand my own heart, never mind yours. And the weaknesses and the effects and the scars and the, all of these pieces in there that can lead me to lean one way over another way, to have a bias, to not have a bias, to all of these pieces. The human race is prone to and vulnerable to false teachings and manipulation. Let me give you a biblical example here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, records the story of Adam and Eve. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Let's pause right here. The devil is twisting the truth. There's a measure of truth here, right? Did God really say you must not eat? Well, God God did say you must not eat from a tree in the garden. But he replaces one word, a, to any. So he's basically saying, so God said you couldn't eat from any tree? No, no, no. And so Eve, Eve corrects her, the, serpent. the woman said to the serpent, we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, so now we have a change in focus from you can have anything you want except one. So instead of the focus being here, it's on the here. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it Or you will die. I don't know why she added, You must not touch it, because God didn't say that. Verse 4 You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. He gives her wrong information. Direct contrast to what God told her, her and Adam. If you eat it, you're going to die. The serpent says, You're not going to die. Wrong information. Which is again a distortion of the truth. Because God was referring to eternal life and death. And the devil here is focusing on immediate life or death. Right? For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. He presents her this, this desirable thing. She, he's playing on her desires. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to understand? <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 6 When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. You can see right there her desires and her emotions. It was pleasing to the eye. It was desirable for wisdom. There's this, there's this play on those emotions. And of course, uh, we know the, um, the ending. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Here's the point. If Eve, a perfect woman at this point, Meaning, no sin, no no evil, no evil desires, no corruption, no taintedness. She's perfection. If she can be manipulated, what makes us think uh, that we can't? That if she can, so can we. Why... Why is this important for us to understand? It's important for us to understand because when John and other New Testament authors are warning against false teachers and they're warning against the Antichrists, they're talking to you and me. They're talking to you and me, and it's important for us to get rid of any notion That they're only talking to a weak segment of the body or an uneducated segment of the body. While he's saying this for those weak, uneducated people, because those of us who are intellects or who know or who are stronger, you know, we don't we don't need that that warning. We need to get rid of the notions that you or I are are above the possibility of being manipulated or taught false things. We need to get rid of the notion that, you know, armed with good genetics and with Google, I can escape manipulation. Right? How many times have you heard when you're talking to somebody, well, I've done my research. Like, what are you talking about? You Googled it. That's not research. Research. Yet your research trumps those who have been on the field, talking with people face-to-face, experiencing it, seeing it for themselves, and reporting back. But your research, you know, no. Anyway, I'll get on my soapbox here. We seem to think that we, we have, we can, we're going to escape, we're above this manipulation. And let me tell you, friends, the only way you will overcome this is is to check your pride and your arrogance at the door and humbly accept the fact that you too are prone to false teaching and manipulation. That's the only way you have a chance of overcoming it. Because the term pride comes before the fall is applicable here. As soon as you don't think you are prone to these things, you are now prone to these things. It's important for us to understand this because when we read John and he's encouraging us as James is, as Peter is, as Paul is about false teachers and about Antichrist you have to say, they're talking to me. He's talking to me. If you don't, you'll be in the long list of people who have been deceived. I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you, and certainly you don't want that for you. So now that we understand our starting point, this is our starting point. We have to walk into this going, I'm prone to this. I don't want to be. I don't have a desire to be. Can I ask you, does anybody ever sit down and say, no, I really want to be manipulated today? I mean, we go to movies and we go to magic shows and those kinds of things because it's fun. We see like this sleight of hand trick, and we're like, whoa, how did he do that? And we know he just tricked our brain somehow. He or she tricked our brain. And that was fun. We have a good laugh, but we know it doesn't have any effect on our, our lives. So it's fun. We love being manipulated in that way. But in real life, none of us sit down and say, I really want to be manipulated. I want to believe things that aren't true. Nobody does. So don't assume that somebody who disagrees with you wants to be manipulated. That's our starting point. We all have the the equal um, proneness to these things. So, from here, knowing this as we walk in, that John is absolutely speaking to me. He's absolutely speaking to you. How do we respond to this? Because here's the thing, I know that once you admit I am prone to manipulation, the world just got scarier. Right? The world becomes a scary place. How am I ever gonna know if I'm if this is true? How am I gonna know if this if they're telling me a lie? Am I believing the truth? Am I believing something false? Am I blah 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 right, right? We can you can wind yourself up tight. You go into the ambiguity stage of things where, where you have cre- create stress and anxiety and fear because you don't know. And can I tell you, that's why we have a generation who is on more antidepressants than ever in history. Because guess what? The reality is intuitively, you all know and the world all knows that they don't know. that somebody's selling them a, a false set of goods. And we don't really know what the right set of goods is, so instead, you know what we do? We label it as, well, that's your truth, I'll live my truth, and we'll just pop pills together. Because we have to have certainty in our brain. We have to get this figured out. But I don't know if what you're selling me is right, and I don't know if what you're selling me is right, so I'll just stick to what I know, even if it's not right. This is a huge issue, which is why every single writer in the New Testament writes about this. Every single one writes about it. What is John's instructions? Because thank goodness God doesn't leave us here. Thank goodness. Well, sandwiched between the two verses we read earlier, verses 18 and verse 26 is our answer today we're going to look at. In chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, it says this, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Let me pause right there. And, and a little moment, kind of related. Antichrist. Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, such, per, such a person is the Antichrist. I grew up, think, believing and understanding there was one Antichrist at the end of time in Revelation who was going to lead the whole world astray. Okay, John writes us here that, uh, and he writes in other places too, the definition of the Antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, come to save humanity. Anyone who denies that is an antichrist. Now, the last days in Revelation, there will be a antichrist who is a powerful person who has the spirit of antichrist. He denies that Jesus, or he or she denies that Jesus is the Christ. So, understand this, the the Greek word is antichristos, which just means anti, opposite of, or in place of, Christ. So there's, you run across the Antichrist all day long. You see him on your phone, you see him in the stores, you see. It doesn't mean that this person is a devil. It just means they're Antichrist. They, do, they don't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and the Messiah who came to save the world. Many Antichrists. And this is good for you to note here in a teaching moment that you should not receive instruction for your life from anybody who's an antichrist. People say a lot of really good things, some of them applicable, some of them not, but we're talking about false teaching and right teaching, and how do I know? Good indication. If somebody doesn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, you shouldn't believe their teachings, even if they're similar or parallel to Scripture. Let's move on here. Next verse. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us. Eternal life. Verse 24, what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. What is he talking about what you heard in the beginning for you and for me? Is this the, the day you got saved, what the preacher was saying? Is this, you know, what your grammar school teacher taught you growing up? Is this what mom and dad taught you or, or grandma taught you? What does he mean what you heard from in the beginning? He's referring to the gospel message of Jesus Christ as preached by the apostles. See, here's the, here's the issue. We're, we're 2,000 years away from there, but even at this point, Jesus had walked the earth. He had taught many witnesses, heard what he spoke, heard what he preached. When Jesus uh, died, rose again, and ascended to heaven, his, his apostles who lived with him for three years, who knew his teachings... Took those teachings around the world and, and taught those with authority and shared them, that these are facts, right? But what happens when you get a generation after the apostles? Somebody who was born, Jesus didn't even walk the earth, Jesus had already been dead for, or, or ascended for 50 years. How does, and now the apostles are all dying off? How does that person know that this is the teachings of Christ with authority? And then we'll get two, three, four, five hundred years away from that. How is somebody going to know what are the teachings of Christ? And what, they, what, we, what we notice, we know from church history and what we know from reading here is people started adding things to Christ's message. They start saying, well, um, you know, you receive Jesus by faith and you have to get circumcised. And there's a huge debate. We read about it in the Bible. Like, do you have to get circumcised or don't you have to get circumcised? And the the apostles hammered it out and they said, no, you don't have to get circumcised. Things like this started to happen. And so, so Christendom, the world of Christians, said, listen, we have to be able to know what were the original teachings of Christ and his apostles. Because we have this propensity to be led astray by our own thoughts by cool teachings, by this is awesome, what, are, what we want to hear, what's in our desires, the society we grow up in and live in, all these things that can influence. So how do we know what's right and what's true? And we see as early as the second century, around year 108, 120, in that neighborhood, um, people were beginning to collect the writings of the apostles and keep them in libraries so that they could refer back to them to know what was it that Jesus taught and did? And so it wasn't shortly after that that we, get, we got the Bible. Around 20 to 22 of the, of the books in the New Testament were already pretty much confirmed in most people's heart. These are the Word of God. It took a couple of hundred years for them to argue out the other five or six or so and come into agreement on which ones were and which ones weren't. But when we talk about, when, when, when John is saying what you heard from in the beginning, he's referring to uh, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. To hold on to that. In fact, in 1 John 3.23, which should be the next slide. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So John, right here in the next chapter, says, hey, this is what he told us. Believe in the Son. He also, in the next one, it's qualifications of an elder. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This encouragement by Paul to Titus, like, hey, when you're establishing elders in the churches, they need to be a person who's going to hold on to the message as it was originally taught by Christ and his apostles. Because we're prone to manipulation and being led astray by things that sound awesome. Paul himself writes this uh, to the church in Galatia. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he said this. If we can go there, guys. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 9. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Uh Uh-oh just this need, this, hey, what was originally taught through Jesus Christ and his apostles, this needs to be held on to, and this, when you hold on to this, it needs to remain in you. So, what does he mean, remain in you? What does that mean? Do I just believe it? Here's another uh, Piece that every single writer in the New Testament refers to, including Jesus Himself. But in 1 John chapter two verse four, before we got to these verses, he said this: "Whoever says I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person." <clears throat> now I know this sounds harsh. Um, please don't read into this perfection. We're not talking about people who do things perfectly. But uh, if I stand up before you and tell you, um, you know, uh, believe in Jesus and follow the Ten Commandments, and then, you know, I'm out stealing, committing adultery, and doing those kinds of things, you should not listen to me. If I have no repentance and I have no remorse, if I'm like, yeah, well, you know whatever, and I try to sleight of hand and be sneaky about all that, you should kick me to the curb. Because the truth would not be in me. James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Wow. We're talking about the deception. He says, listen, if you're just listening, but you're not applying it, you're deceiving yourself. The truth's not in you either. One more for you. Paul writes, Romans 2, verse 13, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. What is he saying? He's like, hey, don't just be hearers, be doers. That actually in in, in the culture there, in the understanding that when we talk about knowing truth, it wasn't just an intellectual pursuit. It was... It was, I know intellectually, but I have also experienced, and so therefore I know. Right? So, like, um, I know what it's like to be a father. Because I have the intellectual knowledge and I have the experience. I have three kids. Now, I might be able to do an intellectual study on what it's like to be a mother... And write a book on, I know what it's like to be a mother, but I don't really know. <laughs> that was my wife, by the way, in the back, who said, that's right, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when we say, when you, you will know the truth. Because I know it here, and I live it, so therefore I know it. This is what we're referring to by being hearers of the word and doers of the word. Let's wrap this up. I know I've been preaching long. I just want to say, you're welcome, Dad. He didn't think I could preach for more than an hour. Can we go to the next slide? Conclusion. We have to come to the understanding that we are prone to false teachings and manipulation. If you don't believe that about yourself, that's a starting point. Look up what I, I said earlier about intellectually, um, medically, your own heart and emotionally things. When you when you put all these components in, you might intellectually be really, really good, but the other piece is not so good. Like between all those combined, none of us uh, have a chance. We're prone to these things, and that John tells us that we're to hold on to the gospel message found in Scripture. That by holding on to this, we will not be manipulated and taught falsely. That we will remain in Christ. And by holding on, we mean believe it and live it. That I believe what this says. I believe that when Jesus said this, even if my culture says that's wrong, even if... My family says that's wrong. Even if my best friend says that's wrong, I, I'm holding to this because I know I'm prone to manipulation and this is what's right and true. So this is our anchor. It's our anchor to make sure that we don't fall prey to false teaching and to manipulation. You should question if something's preached that's not in here and say... You need to explain this to me. I don't see it in here, can you? I will accept that challenge any time any of you come. Because I want, I never want to stand up here and preach something that's not true from God's word. Uh, if, If I preached as it was God's word, I'll clarify and say that was my opinion, not God's word. You have that freedom to come to me. Live it and believe it. There is safety in the Scriptures. When there's a conflict and there's ambiguity, you adopt what the Scripture says. That'll resolve that conflict. It'll resolve the ambiguity. You'll have joy. You won't be stressed over it and living anxious or fearfully. You say, well, I I believe what God told me. And I choose to live that way. And it resolves uh, those issues Within your mind. And by doing that. Last slide please. As for you. See that what you heard from the beginning. Remains in you. If it does. If it does. You also will remain in the son. And in the father. And this is what he promised us. Eternal life. So by remaining. By allowing his word to remain in us. We are firmly planted in him. And you don't have to worry about being uh, manipulated and led astray by false doctrine because there's a whole lot. Read the whole thing. The Holy Spirit will, will, will prompt you internally. Um, God will protect and preserve. Hold on. Let, let his word remain in you and live it and you will not be deceived by false teaching. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to this earth to to live for us and die for us. He rose again with power, and today we can can be free from the fear of being manipulated or taught false things and being led astray by all kinds of of doctrines and all of these. Lord, we can live at peace with joy, knowing that there's safety in your scriptures. That when we believe your message taught by your apostles, we can live knowing that we're remaining in you. Knowing that we're doing what's right by you. That it's tested over time and time and years and generations. That it still holds true for us today. I pray everyone in this room, Lord, and everyone listening online would have the assurance in their heart and the to to trust in what was taught from the beginning. Lord, I pray that just the desires in our heart for, for new, cool, different, awesome, flashy kind of stuff, Lord that we would be people of the word who read it and who understand it and are able to judge against and say, you know what, that is not what God says. Give us an appetite, Lord, to know your word, your teachings. And Lord, as we believe them and as we live them, Lord, may we find the security of remaining in you and the promise of eternal life. Lord, I thank you for this church, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, that you'd um, preserve your word in us. That, Lord, any scheme of the devil to, to snatch out what you're doing in our lives or to, to lead us in a different way, Lord, would be that you'd protect us from that. I pray, Lord, that you'd protect us health-wise, Lord, as we continue to navigate a worldwide pandemic. And I pray, Lord, that you would bind us together, knit us together as a body of believers. We love you and we thank you in your precious name. Amen. Amen, church. God bless you. We love you. Thank you so much. Um, it's been good being with you today. Uh, if you're home here with us live in house, just a reminder, there's a little uh Ziploc bag next to you. If you could Pull the uh, the the Lysol wipe out and just wipe the harder areas in uh, hard surfaces in your area. That would be of great help to us as we as we keep the. the